Hello and welcome to Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and ooh, baby, here we go. If you are listening to this right now, on the day it comes out, that being Monday, September 30th, then welcome to the ground floor. Yes, you are what we call an early adopter. You get to say going forward that you are here right from the beginning of Locked On Canucks. It's episode one, and I am so glad to have you with me today. Look, in the future, I'm probably going to have some guests on the show. I don't know why I said probably. I'm definitely going to have guests on the show. It is not going to be a solo effort each and every day going forward uh, into uh, you know eternity as I continue to feed the content machine. It's an insatiable beast. But no, I will have some guests with me down the line. going to be doing some interviews with a ton of uh, people in the Canucks media sphere Talking all things Vancouver Canucks because, yes, this is a daily Vancouver Canucks podcast. Five times a week you're going to get me uh, spilling my thoughts on the team. Of course, you already know that if you heard the introduction, uh, which dropped uh, a couple weeks ago. This is all irrelevant, however. What I really want to get into today is the fact that not only are we here the launch, the debut of Locked On Canucks, but we are here to a part of the year that I have been looking forward to all summer long. It is fair to say, honestly, that I have been more looking forward to this exact process of shaving down the roster and finding out exactly what this team is going to look like this year than I have been for the actual game itself that will be played on Wednesday during the season opener. Because... It's been a summer of question marks in Vancouver. Yes, we know we have some idea of what the team is going to look like when it comes time to lace up the skates for the regular season debut, but this team, it's no surprise, it's no secret, has had too many forwards all summer long. They probably had too many forwards going into the offseason, never mind the guys that they went out and grabbed in free agency, and I'm talking specifically about Michael Furland, who they grabbed well into free agency when they already needed to clear some space for the guys that they already had. Now, how are they going to do that? We're about to find out in the next couple of days, and there are some big decisions left for this team to make. We have a rough idea of what everything's going to shake down and look like in terms of how the top six in particular, and I think the starting six defensemen, and of course, obviously the two goalies as well. But beyond that, when you look at the way that this team is going to construct its bottom six as far as the forwards that are available to them, there are a ton of different ways that this can go. And... I mean, even the idea of who they're going to keep as far as extras is up in the air right now. This is a team that consistently, year over year, the Canucks have always opted to go with two defensemen because the way that this team travels more than any other team in the league leads to bodies breaking down, particularly on the back end when you play a position that involves a ton of shot blocking and things that add a lot of wear on the body. Now, going back over the last 12, 13 years, I feel like, it's rare to see a Vancouver Canucks team that carries 14 forwards and seven defensemen. This could be the year that that happens. Honestly, it very well could. I personally don't think it will. I think common sense rules out uh, the way that the team has constructed its roster going on for decades now is probably going to be the way it continues to to do business, honestly. Uh, But... I'm sure there are some forwards 
who are looking at uh, some grim prospects, perhaps, of making this roster, hoping that that is exactly what they will decide to do. And I'm talking specifically here probably about Nikolai Goldobin, who, if he's going to stay with this club and and not get cut, not get put on waivers, not get sent down to the AHL, the only way that he is going to do that is if they decide to, to keep 14 forwards. Look, I love Goldobin. Personally, I have been a huge supporter of Nikolai Goldobin right from day one, right from his arrival, way back on that fateful Tuesday when Tuesday Jim made his debut and Jim Benning strutted into that press conference so confident, so happy, so thrilled with himself after he went out and landed a pair of prospects who have ultimately amounted to nothing in this organization. Jonathan Dolan was flipped to the San Jose Sharks for a negligible prospect in return back at the draft, or actually back at the trade deadline, and he's taken off and left back to Europe uh, since exiting the San Jose Sharks system. So Jonathan Dolan's NHL future is uh, slim to none at the moment, and Nikolai Goldobin's NHL future is kind of hanging on by a thread for dear life. But the thing that Goldobin brought to that team, and it's especially true during the, the Willie Desjardins years, is just this sense of, oh my goodness, on a team that is currently playing Jason Megna and Michael Chaput in its top six, we might finally have some players available to us that allow the Canucks to ice a lineup that has guys with offensive instincts, forwards who can actually score. This is a team that has been consistently the worst in the NHL over the last four years, right up there with the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, awful as far as goal scoring in particular. And a lack of offense is a big reason why they were as bad as they were. Look, they didn't really have much as far as defense goes either. So problems up and down the lineup if you go back over the last four years. But offense and, and the instinct, the philosophy to play an attacking style just didn't exist. And you can say, sure, Willie Desjardins was catering to the roster that he had at the time. But that same thing is true of Travis Green and the way that he has coached this team over the last two seasons. Finally, Travis has horses available to him. If he wanted Jim Benning to go out there and get him some players this offseason, I think it's safe to say Jim went out and fulfilled his end of that deal. Now the pressure falls to Travis Green a little bit in terms of how are you actually going to put this roster together because, as I mentioned, there are certainly plenty of choices to be made right now. Let's take a peek at what we know for sure first. I believe we all know and can agree that the top line for the Canucks heading into this season is going to be Michael Furland flanking Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser. Now you can debate whether Furland deserves to be dropped in airdropped into that position right away on a team that he has never accomplished anything with, but he's a big marquee free agent signing. They've got him here for the next four years. And say what you will about him, he is a player who knows how to play with skill players. That was true in Carolina. It was true in Calgary as well. Michael Furland, he might not be a goal-scoring prodigy or an amazing playmaker himself, but he can, you know, place his shots on a spot on the goalie that will create plum rebounds for the skill guys that he is playing with. He can open up space for those skill guys as well. It was true of when he played with Monaghan in Calgary and Goudreau as well, and it's also true of when he played with Sebastian Ajo in Carolina. 
Look, I don't personally agree that uh, Elias Pettersson needs a tough guy out there to go, uh, you know, protect him or perhaps uh, uh, be a, a deterrent from uh, guys who want to take liberties with skill players. That's always going to happen no matter who you have out there on the ice. You know, the big example that always comes up is that Milan Lucic was on the ice when Mark Savard's career was ended. There's really nothing to stop guys who want to take runs at skill players from doing it if that's what they want to do. Yes, they can answer the bell after the fact, but the damage is already done. Having a, a big, tough guy out on the ice isn't going to stop that from happening. But Furland, look, I'm fully willing to see what he's able to do here. I I don't have a ton of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not over the moon about the fact that we're starting the year with a guy on the top line who has only ever in his career amounted to 129 points in 321 career games. That doesn't sound like somebody who's going to be an ace winger on the top scoring line of a team. And, in fact, I think it's interesting the way that uh, we think about Michael Furland relative to the way that we think about Sven Berchi. Sven Berchi is someone who is apparently, if you listen to the media trying to read the tea leaves of the way Travis has configured the lineup here over the last couple weeks, fighting for his life, fighting for his NHL career, fighting for his future with the Vancouver Canucks right now. I ran a thought experiment on my Twitter account during uh, the final preseason game last week, and I'll play it out for you here on the podcast as well. Player X has 66 goals and 136 points in 285 career games. Player Y has 59 goals and 129 points in 321 career games. Player X is six months younger than Player Y, but both are 92 birthdays. One is a much ballyhooed free agent signing, and the other is fighting to avoid waivers. Now, who is who? Sven Berchi is Player X. Yes, 66 goals, 136 points in 285 games. That is a better goal-scoring rate. That is a better playmaking rate in fewer games than Michael Furland has ever done in his entire career. But we don't think of Sven Berchi that way. We think of him as uh, somebody... I don't know. I, I'm really fascinated lately by the way fans think of Sven Berchi, honestly, because I had a lot of people in my Twitter mentions last week telling me that Sven Berchi absolutely must play in the top six or he has no place on this team, as if Sven Berchi is Nikolai Goldobin. Ridiculous to me, I believe. Anyways, this is a guy who plays a well-rounded game, and look, we saw it last week, the chemistry that he has developed with Adam Gaudet. That would be a fine third line. I want to watch a team that has three lines that can score. That's what you need in today's NHL. And that's where the pressure falls now on Travis Green. Because if he goes into the year with a team that cuts Sven Berchi, that cuts <laughs> Nikolai Goldobin. Look, I, for the record, do not believe for a second that Sven Berchi is going to get cut this week. But, hey, anything is possible. I do not want to see a team that has Brandon Sutter and Jay Beagle centering lines three and four because what we're going to see from that is exactly what we've seen over the last couple years. A team that cannot score enough goals to compete and make the playoffs. A team whose bottom six contributes almost nothing offensively. Look, Brandon Sutter and Jay Beagle are useful players. They have their places in the lineup, but to me that place is the fourth line. And maybe you can put together a lineup configuration where Adam Gaudet gets to make this team and Brandon Sutter and Jay Beagle are 
you know, on the fourth line together. Maybe you shift Beagle over to the wing and he gets to play center exclusively on the penalty kill. That's a possibility. It's entirely possible that that would happen. It's probably not going to happen, though. Adam Gaudet probably not going to make this team, and they're going to spin it as insurance that obviously over the course of this season, injuries are going to come calling on the Vancouver Canucks. It always happens. It specifically has always happened with Brandon Sutter since he's been in Vancouver. I understand that argument. I understand the idea that if you go out right now and you trade away a Brandon Sutter, that come injury time, if something happens to Jay Beagle, like what happened to him last year, you do not have at that point an Adam Gaudet to call up and insert into the lineup. And injuries are going to happen 100%. Yes, that's true. But the counter argument to that, which I have a hard time poking holes in, is is this team not better off with Adam Gaudet in the lineup than they are with Brandon Sutter? It's you know, I mentioned the the perception in preseason and how we've thought about Michael Furland versus how we think about Sven Berchi. There's another side to that as well with Jake Vertanen, who right now looks like he's going to be the 13th forward on this team. I don't necessarily know that he's going to start the year in the lineup. They continually want to send a message to him. But, you know, Brandon Sutter scores two goals in the preseason opener in Victoria And that is treated like this big resurgent effort. Like, oh boy, here comes Brandon Sutter. He's ready to have a major comeback year. Jake Vertanen, meanwhile, playing for essentially an AHL roster in Calgary on the same night, has two goals that lift the Canucks split squad to a overtime victory over what was essentially the Calgary Flames NHL roster was treated as, oh, who cares, Uh, just a... you know, mean-nothing performance against a bunch of veterans who are playing out the string and don't give a damn because it's the first day of preseason. They may as well be playing weekend shinny. The standards that are applied to veterans and the standards that are applied to the young players who are supposed to be busting their butts trying to make this team, uh, they do not line up ever at all in any circumstances, I guess unless you're Sven Berchi who has been so injured over the last couple years that I feel like fans have forgotten what he even provides to this lineup. Anyways, 10 minutes to go in today's show, and I feel like we've barely scratched the surface of all of the difficult choices that still lie ahead for Travis Green and Jim Benning. Heck, they may have already made some of those choices on Monday morning by the time you're hearing this. Entirely possible that guys on the bottom end of this lineup have already been sent down to Utica. I suspect, however, they're going to mull things over and probably leave it until Tuesday. We will find out. However, again, pretty much set in stone that the second line going into the year is going to be Tanner Pearson flanking Bo Horvat and JT Miller on the right side of that equation. Arguments could be made again when we're assessing the performance of veterans in the preseason that Tanner Pearson really did very little to acquit himself in that role come preseason uh, time and the games that they played over the last couple weeks here. I don't know how much to read into preseason, though, honestly. Like, yes, it's true that Tanner Pearson did not look particularly good in these preseason games. Hell, Quinn Hughes looked downright awful in the preseason finale, the final game that they played against Arizona. Does that mean Quinn Hughes is going to have a bad season? Probably not. The Canucks were one of the worst teams I've ever seen, judging by their preseason performance last season. They went on to be a pretty entertaining team in the end, even if they fell short of their goal of making the playoffs. So... Again, a guy like Tanner Pearson, he gets the benefit of the doubt 
on a uh, poor performance, perhaps in exhibition play. I don't have a problem with Michael Furland being in the top six. I know I voiced some concern earlier. I just would, I really want to see Michael Furland play on a second line when we get to a point where Antoine Roussel is healthy, where you give Bo Horvat the real muckers and grinders and <laughs> poop disturbers. If I can call them that, uh, put him on a line. Bo Horvat, put Furland and Roussel on that line with him. He already has proven chemistry with Antoine Roussel. I think he could probably uh, come up with some chemistry with Furland as well as you know he's seemingly has no problem coming up with chemistry with pretty much anyone he plays with, unless those guys are named Tim Schaller and Tyler Mott. But uh, you know, I and then you could load up the uh, top line with skill by playing JT Miller with Pedersen and Besser. Look, these are the things that we've been discussing all summer long. They finally are going to be decided. I really want Sven Berchi to be a part of the third line of this team. I feel like that third line can provide some scoring punch. Sven Berchi has more offensive instincts and, and moves than people want to give him credit for. I don't even think Sven Berchi is injury prone, honestly. I think he's just been unlucky. He's had a series of Luke freak accidents and concussions, and it's unfortunate. But, I mean, look, we've gone through this multiple times before and writing guys off when they get concussions only for them to have resurgent seasons and resurgent careers. Look no further than Willie Mitchell right here in Vancouver. And if you want to go on the broad spectrum, <laughs> look at the way people were willing to write off Sidney Crosby several years ago when he had all kinds of concussion trouble. I think Sid the Kid got his career back on track, even though he may not be a kid. Uh, and... <laughs> able to suit that moniker any longer. Look, I obviously know Sven Berchi is no Sidney Crosby. I'm just saying, guys go through concussion issues, but it doesn't mean that's the end of them and the concussions are constantly going to be a problem for them forever. There is life after concussions, and there is a way to come back and be a useful player and have a prosperous career the rest of your career. Unfortunately, if you read the tea leaves, going by what Travis Green laid out to Thomas Drance in one of the morning scrums last week, it really seems like his preference for a third line is Josh Levo with Brandon Sutter and Louis Erickson. And my preference would be that Louis Erickson isn't even on this team. It's unfortunate that Jason Botchford, the late great himself, already bestowed the uh, nickname that he will never shake of little things because to me, Louis Erickson is a ghost. It's a haunted contract, obviously, in the first place. You're never going to get rid of it. There's no shedding it. Uh, you know, you can put it in a box and bury it in, in, a, in the backyard, throw it in a river, whatever you want to do. That contract is going to end up back in your house as soon as you get back in there and lock the door behind you. There's no shaking this thing. But he himself is a ghost as well. It's like he doesn't even exist. <laughs> and that is how we kind of treated him for the first two years of this contract. Nobody bothered to get mad about Louis Erickson because why bother, you know? Like, who can even stand to get mad at this guy? He's such a non-entity. But that's how I feel watching him play. If you had told me that Louis Erickson did not draw into a single preseason game this year, I would have fully believed that, even the games that he scored in, especially the ones that he didn't score in down the stretch the last couple he is invisible out there. He contributes nothing. He is not noticeable at all as you watch the games. And then you look at the score sheet after the fact. Zero blocked shots. Zero shots. Zero hits. Zero, zero, zero donuts across the board. It's like the guy is not even there. He is a ghost. But uh, I don't know. It's going to be a costly 
decision if they do elect to go that way to send him down to Utica. I don't think that's where this relationship is at right now. Travis has kind of gone out of his way every step of the way here to throw uh, a couple of roses at Louis, whether they're deserved or not. He has said, you, you got to give credit where it's due and notice the hard work that's put in. He's put in the work and he's come here serious. I don't know what he's looking at if he's just trying to put lipstick on a pig and try to, I guess, uh, you know, recover this relationship that had some uh, definitely rocky moments over the course of the offseason. But my preference would be that Louis Erickson is off of this team. And if he was, then possibly Nikolai Goldobin could stay. But Tim Schaller, sorry, bud, you're probably gone. Tyler Mott, heck, he might be gone too. Charlie Hustle, famous preseason performer from last year. What did he really do in this preseason to cement his spot? Tim Schaller looked okay at times and had decent chemistry with Jay Beagle. Is that enough at this point? Are you willing to cut and run on somebody that you have a commitment to, a multi-year commitment to, like Sven Berchi, in order to make room for a mistaken signing in Tim Schaller, who only has one year left on his deal. You can bury him just like you did Sam Gagne last season. There's no harm in that. Admit your mistake. Admit that there's fallibility in this front office, and I think there's a good amount of fans who would be fully on board and embrace the fact that they're willing to admit that. So how does this shake up on the forwards? Goldobin, look, the case for Goldobin to stay is that if you hit a injury in your top six, He's a guy that you can slot in, and he can play with Horvat, and he can play with Miller, and he can play with Pedersen and Besser. He can play with Furland or whoever and be a, a, a fine option to put into a top six in an injury situation. That's the case for keeping Nikolai Goldobin, is that if he's going to be the 13th or 14th forward, when you hit injuries to the top six, you don't have a ton of guys on the farm who can fill in and take that place. Like, Reed Boucher is the Brock Besser of the AHL. He is not the Brock Besser of the NHL. He is, uh, you know, I, like that. I guess when you are making that argument for Goldobin, he, it, it makes him sound like an AHL player. Yes, that's what you expect from an AHL call-up. Somebody to slot in to the top six in a pinch and provide you with depth scoring options. Unfortunately, Goldobin is one of those guys who is kind of better than the AHL and not good enough for the NHL. Not good enough to be a full-time player anyways. And right now, with the construction of this team, assuming Sven Berchi makes the roster, you don't even really need him as a guy to slide up the roster because you already have guys who can play scoring positions on your third line. There is a possibility, whether they keep Brandon Sutter or, or whether Adam Goddad is the third line center, that when this team is healthy, when Antoine Roussel returns to the team, Sven Berchi and Antoine Roussel are your third-line wingers. Both of those guys can play second-line minutes in a pinch and do very, very well with it. I, I, I thought Antoine Roussel was fantastic with Bo Horvat last year. Sven Berchi has proven chemistry with Bo Horvat. He's proven himself as a top-six scorer on this team multiple times over the last three seasons. So when you have guys like that in depth positions who can slide up already... Do you need a Nikolai Goldobin? And I like Goldobin. I want him to succeed. I wanted so bad for him to be an NHL player. I wanted so bad for this team to be in a place where they embraced an offensive skill set that could do the kinds of things that he can do. 
but they might right now be in a position where they can put together a lineup that can do all of those things without needing him to be a part of it. And as much as that might hurt, if you've been a Goldobin supporter over the last couple years, these are champagne problems. This means the team is good. And if Nikolai Goldobin gets sent down and they're still able to put together a roster that has three scoring lines, that's a good thing. If Nikolai Goldobin and Sven Berchi both get sent down and they put together a bottom six that cannot score, that is based around a bunch of muckers and grinders that provide no offensive upside available, well then, we've got problems. That's the forward situation. I I don't know who's going to... Tim Schaller, get out of here. Tyler Mott, get lost. Adam Goddett can probably be sent down, and then that's your three forwards that you need to clear out, really to have the rest of the guys there. I don't want to see Louis Erickson still be a part of this team, but if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, of course, I do believe we will be stuck with Louis for at least one more year here. And you're going to be stuck with me all season long because this is the end of the inaugural episode of Locked On Canucks. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I'll talk to you again tomorrow. My name is Justin Morissette. Thank you for listening to Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.